Um, I wanted to pick up where I sort of left off last spring. And last uh, winter, going through winter and spring, I had begun the journey starting with the story of Abraham and working down through his descendants. There through Isaac, the story of Isaac, of Jacob, of Jacob's sons, going through that experience leading down through Joseph. And then we went to the great story of Moses and the burning bush. And if you remember that experience of the Lord speaking to him out of the burning bush, that beginning of that story, how he appeared before Pharaoh, and going down, fulfilling the command, having Aaron go with him, the miracles and the things that happened at that place and that journey. Then the great Passover that happened with putting the blood on the lentil and on the doorposts, that experience. And then they were let go on the night of the Passover when the Passover angel came over and struck all those, the firstborn of the animals, as well as the uh, individuals who did not have the doors marked. And that included Pharaoh's own son. And then we remember the last thing we were dealing with was that we had dealt with the deliverance that the Lord had given to them at the Red Sea, an incredible experience on where Miriam wrote that incredible song, the song of deliverance that we will sing when we are delivered. It is a wonderful thing. Uh, to be written, the book of Revelation tells us about. So people made their way. It took about three months for them to make their way, and they got down to Mount Sinai. And there they were organized as a nation in how to live, how to be organized in their tents, how to travel, uh, how the thing was to work as a nation. And at that time, God gave them laws, and one of the most prominent, of course, would be that of giving of the Ten Commandments. So I want to pick up the story and go on from there this fall. However, I'm going to start in Mark 10, of all the things. Would you please open your Bible to Mark chapter 10? Now, if you were with us on Wednesday night, you would understand what the importance of Mark is. Isn't that right? Some of you were there. Yes, you understand why Mark was important. Yes. So, <clears throat> so we're looking at Mark. I want to look at this story together. Familiar story, but it has significance to us today as we look at some of the things that said. So let's begin with Mark 10, beginning with verse 17. Mark 10, verse 17. And as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he said. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this is different than the Pharisees that were trying to track him. This man was earnest, and he wanted to know. And so he came and he asked Jesus. And Jesus responded to him. This is the story of the rich young ruler, as we know of it and call about it. And so Jesus responded to him and said, Why do you call me good? There is none good except God alone. Now, the phrase of calling a person a good master or a good teacher um, when you come up was something that a person would do when he would speak to a rabbi. He'd say, oh, good teacher, type of thing. But Jesus was drawing a point that, that this is God is only a good. Jesus was not denying that he was God here. Some people have drawn that conclusion. But reading on verse 19, and he said, you know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and your mother. These ones that he was sharing, we know to be the ones, how do we relate to others? 
How are we to relate to those that are around us? And those commandments that were given, Jesus said, now some have concluded, see, therefore, there it is, the, the Sabbath is not mentioned. It misses the purpose of why Jesus was highlighting these particular ones. What are the commandments? All the ones he cited are how we relate to our fellow man. How are we going to do that? And he said, the teacher, and he responded to the teacher, all these things I've done since I was a boy. I've done these since I grew up. I've done these all my life. I have not stolen from somebody. I have not done all this. I have gone. And the Bible says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. <laughs> and I, I just, I'm trying to put in my mind how, how this story is going where Jesus looks at him. This response is, well, I've done this from my, from my youth. And Jesus loved him. Well, that was a very nice response, you know. Okay, I, I can just see almost Jesus like, getting a little bit tickled. That it kind of, all right, yeah, and you're not realizing I know. You're not realizing I know all of it. And so he, he said, so, and I, I can see Jesus love it, just like when I come to him. And I say, oh, I don't, I don't, Jesus said, yeah, it's okay. It's kind of a smile on his face. Can't you just see that? Yeah, do that, he said. So Jesus looked at him and loved him, the Bible said, when he came. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then... Come, follow me, Jesus said. Go sell all you have, give to the poor. Your treasure will be in heaven. But the Bible records, at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. He had great wealth. I think it goes on to describe it was easier for a rich, um, it's easier for a, camel to go through the eye of a needle. John, we were there in, up on Temple Square, and there is a split in the wall where they could slip through to go up and right, where the animals could not get in and out. It was too, camels couldn't get up under on Temple Square. And so they had this slit, and it was called the eye of the needle. That's where that phrase came from. It's not the eye of the needle when you're thinking it. But it could apply, you see. So, so the eye of the needle was a place up there on Temple Square. It says it would be easier, easier for a camel to do that than for a rich man to go into heaven. Now, I want you to keep that thought, all right? So I know it's hard for men to hold two thoughts at one time. But we're going to, we're going to ladies, you have no problem with this. But, but we're, going to, we're going to just hold on to that just keep your hand there, if you would, where you are, while we go elsewhere. So I want us to go just a couple chapters over to Mark chapter 12, if you would look there. Mark chapter 12. And so he came up with him, and he said to him in verse 28, one of the teachers of the law, who had heard him debating him, the Pharisees, noticed that Jesus had given a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now, the Pharisees would like to have tricked him. But this man appears to be genuine in asking his question. Which one is the most important? It was a great thing. And we think when he asked the commandments, we're thinking the Ten Commandments. And I'm looking around. Now, which one 
of those Ten Commandments would be the most important? Which one would you look at and say? In verse 20, 29, the most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Those words do not appear in the Ten Commandments. Jesus said that was the greatest commandment. But it doesn't appear in the Ten Commandments. He was actually quoting, Jesus was quoting, he wasn't creating a new one. People say, oh, he's creating a new one. No, no. Jesus was quoting from Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. That's where he was quoting to that. He was, this is the great commandment. And he was quoting to him. So this lawyer, this law, uh, scholar of the law, this expert in the law, really recognized what he was saying. It wasn't this is new. He goes, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He knew where he was quoting from. He was an expert in it. And the second, Jesus said, is, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. Those words do not appear in the Ten Commandments. Did you notice that? In fact, Jesus was now quoting from Leviticus 19.18. So where he got that from. Jesus is quoting that. And he went on to say in verse 31, there is no greater commandment than these. Those are absolutely the great commandment. In fact, he went on and Jesus said in Matthew 22, uh, verse 40, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love to God and love to man. Now the law they were talking about was the Torah the first five books. When Jesus says to the law and to the prophets, he is shorthanding saying this is the Old Testament. That's how they didn't say, well, this is the Old Testament because there was no New Testament. So they just said to the law and to the prophets, meaning to the scriptures that they had. So they were shorthanding and it says to the law and to the prophets. All of the things that are written in scripture hang on these two greatest commandments, love to God and love to man. Okay? All right, back to Mark 10. So when Jesus said this to this man about giving up and selling all that he had and giving to the poor, and the man's face fell, it would appear to me that what he was saying was he failed to love others. Wouldn't you say? He failed to love others. No, he wasn't, he wasn't lying against them. He wasn't cheating them. He wasn't committing adultery. He wasn't murdering. He, he was honoring his father. He's done all these from his youth up. But Jesus, quoting from that and drawing that attention, said, what you've really failed is the great commandment about loving others. That's really where that heart of that is. Okay. Put that back on hold for a little bit. Okay, put it back on hold. Now, Exodus 19. So here's Israel, and they have been marched down to the, the Lord has led them down to Mount Sinai. 
And Mount Sinai is where the burning bush was. So he takes them back down there, draws them up to Mount, to Mount Horeb, and there, there they are. And there they are gathered there. And there's a place, and they're all there. Can you imagine the tribe has gone down to meet there? And the Bible says that on the first day, chapter 19, verse 1, and on the first day of the third month, after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day they came to the desert of uh, Sinai. And the desert of Sinai is really bare, as you can see. It is really a bare area. Verse 3, then Moses went up to God, and he, God had called him up onto the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to, the, to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Pause for a moment there. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Grace always precedes law. Before he asked them to obey, he rescued them. This has such huge implications. Because God calls you, provides a way of salvation for you before you ever come to follow him. And so he said, you yourselves, you were witness. You saw that. You saw that. You saw what happened at the Red Sea. You saw how those things, you saw I led you out. Like eagle's wings I brought you out. Now, verse 5, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be treasured, my treasured possession. Although the whole world, all earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Does that ring bells to you? That rings bells to me. Uh, that is the promise given in the book of Revelation to God's people. You will be a you will be a king. You will be priests and kings. Remember that? You will be priests. Priests do what? They minister to others. They carry the ministry to others. So you are priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back down and he summoned the elders of the people and he sent before them all the words that the Lord had commanded him to speak and the people responded and they together they said we will do everything that the Lord has said so Moses brought their answer back to God I could only think that God was smiling as well <laughs> Yes, I believe these people are sincere. But they have no idea. They have no idea. Everything that you said we will do. Almost. Almost. And then the Bible says that the, the Lord descended. He descended 
on Mount Sinai. He came down, and if you read that passage in there, there was lightnings and thunders, and God spoke, and these things, and the people heard this, and they were terrified. He said, don't come up on the mountain. Don't come up and do get any closer. This is, this is my sacred area, so don't come up. Don't, don't do that. You stay where you And in fact, when Moses would come down, his face would be glowing when he had been with God, and he came down, and the people said, veil your face, Moses, because, because we can't stand to see the bright light of your face. Instead of them drawing closer to God so they could see it, no, you veil your face. And then the Bible goes on in chapter 20, going on, and God spoke all these words, and the Bible goes on and shares with us Exodus 20, 2 through 12, giving to us the great Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. It didn't take scholars too long, Bible scholars and Hebrew scholars, to understand there were two themes that came out of the Ten Commandments. How to relate to God and how to relate to each other. First four, how to relate to God. If we are to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength, how do we do that? How do we make that? Here's where much of the world gets lost because they don't realize how do we do that? How does one show their love to God? And God said, the first thing you'll do, you will have no other gods before me. You shall not make any graven image of me. You shall not take my name in vain. And you will remember to stay, have this day, that you and I can be together on the Sabbath. Now those are outward things. We can, we can walk through that. Now I don't do that, I don't do that. But they're guidance to help us to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. All right? Now we go back to Mark 10. We're back to the story again. Back to the story of the rich young ruler has come. He's there. Incidentally, not all the gospel writers say he was that young, but we call him the rich young ruler. So he came up. He sincerely asked him, what must I do? And I've done all this from the youth up. I've done, I've done all those commandments. Yes, I've got that, that. I've memorized those. I know those. And when Jesus said, well, there's one thing you lack. One thing you lack. Oh, what's that? What do I lack? You lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have a treasure in heaven. And the man's face fell. He went away sad because he's of great, he had great wealth. And as I was looking at this and sharing the Mount, Mount Sinai experience, and as I was looking at Mark 10, Mark 12, other places. So looking at that, the question that rolls into my mind and happened, is there more here than failing to love one another? Is there more here? And this is where this story turns. Because I believe there is more here. More here than just you failed to take care of your fellow man. You failed, you kept, you were selfish, you, you, you didn't share. There's more here. 
Because Jesus said, if you will go and sell all that you have and give to the poor, your treasure will be in the kingdom of heaven. Then he said to him, then come follow me. That was, if you do that, if you make that deal, then you come and follow me. Therefore, his unwillingness to love others blocked him from following Jesus. Hmm? He didn't follow Jesus. Why? Because he's a man of great wealth. His unwillingness to love others, to give up his wealth, because it was selfish. It wasn't a trade that a person cannot have, take care of. He was talking about this man had coveted and held on to his wealth so much that he let the poor and everybody else go around. He was self-centered. Even though I did, I haven't done all these things. But he failed in loving his fellow man. The second greatest commandment. Therefore, he was unable to follow Jesus because he had great wealth and could not do it. Which leads me to my second question about that. Which is, can someone truly love God and not love others? That That pricks my heart. First John 2, verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And that swamps my mind. Because I'm so far short of the way Jesus lived. And I cry out in mercy, Lord, help me. Help me that I might live like you live, that I might love like you love. And it's a constant struggle for my own selfishness. <laughs> Driving around Naples is always interesting. It 
There are folks that are mature in their lives, and they don't drive like they did when they were 20. When I was young and foolish, I just kept pressing it till I, I felt safe. <laughs> oh my, my. I've slowed down my driving, but when a person is doing 32 in a 50, poking along, I get anxious behind them. How much longer do I have to be? You're holding me up. Holding me up from what? I had a teacher one time and said, if it's still important in 50 years, you know it's significant. If it's not, patience. But it's frustrating, is it not? <laughs> and inside me there's a, when they finally, finally start to turn, I pass them and I don't honk, but I check them out. What's the matter? Is that person even awake? They go by them. My wife says, Bill, your day is coming when you will be driving like that. And now is. <laughs> but here John, in his epistle here, is writing and he said, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And Jesus showed that he was willing to be a servant, to lay down his life. He did not come to be served, but to serve, the Bible says. Then he says, come, follow me, come follow me. What do you think, my brothers and sisters? It's a powerful story, is it not? And it's easy for us to just to write off the rich young ruler and say, well, <laughs> uh, yes, yes, well, no. Not realizing the impact of what Jesus is really saying. When we say, I surrender all, certainly the rich young ruler did not. He went away sad. Wouldn't it have been great if he had responded like the tax collector, Zacchaeus, and said, yes, I will, I will, I am delighted to do because I will follow you. So Lord have mercy. I thank you, Lord, for this precious story. It's powerful. We tend to think of the Ten Commandments as the man did. Oh, yes, we do this, we don't do that. We got it down. But the greater, the greater part is loving you with all our hearts, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And that illustration of the rich young ruler speaks to us that there's more involved. May we love others as you love others.
that we may love you more fully as your child. In Jesus' name, amen.